various other electronic devices to occupy their time. At school, they have character education, drug prevention education, health and nutrition education, bus safety education, plus hours of drilling for standardized math and English tests so that they are not left behind. But when and where are today's children supposed to be introduced to the Civil War and other historical landmarks of our shared past? There is one moment in the hectic day when parents still hold their children's undivided attention, the bedtime story. Our guest today is the author of several marvelous picture books for children that tell fascinating historical stories from the Civil War era. We'll be right back with children's author and artist Karen Winnick on Civil War Talk Radio. If you want to live a healthier lifestyle naturally, visit wellnow.ca, an all-Canadian quality resource. We provide the information and knowledge you need to make your best choices. Wellnow.ca gives you access to natural products and solutions, lifestyle services, and licensed health practitioners. Our free monthly newsletter delivers healthy living tips, articles, and expert opinions. Become empowered. Go to wellnow.ca today. Hey, got a marketing department? Outsource it. Electronic Theater, a full-service multimedia ad agency, will animate your business. Still stuck with paper? Go digital. Engage your prospective clients with dynamic media, including voice, animation, video, music, and even virtual tours. Your interactive presentation illustrates who you are and what you do. Whether it's projected onto screens, handed out on CD with auto web link, or streaming from your website, Multimedia will grab your client's attention and keep it there. Electronic Theater makes it simple. We are knowledgeable, experienced, friendly professionals, and surprisingly affordable. So get your message out to the world. Electronic Theater, spotlighting your business. Check out our services and low CD replication pricing at electronictheater.com or call us at 760-436-8449. Are you a health-conscious, motivated mom who wants to work part-time from home? Do you want to enhance your family's income, get out of debt, experience financial freedom, create a flexible schedule, set your own hours? These benefits are available to top performers of this 34-year-old, solid, stable company. www.lisastafford.com Achieve personal wellness goals and make a difference in the lives of others. Receive coaching from the top achievers at this company. For more information, go online, lisastafford.com. Have a question or comment? To speak to our show hosts or guests during the live show, call in toll-free in North America, 877-514-7300. And from elsewhere in the world, call 001-858-277-1444. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, speaking to you from my office at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not representing the university or the state of North Carolina, the University of North Carolina system, or any other entity, and indeed not even representing uh, uh, the history department here. We all have our own ideas about the past. Before we get into today's topic, I wanted to uh, 
recap something we tried a few shows ago, a discussion of how much a single book sale would affect the Amazon.com book sale rankings. I selflessly volunteered my own uh, work all for the regiment on the Army of the Ohio as a test case, which at that point was languishing around 700,000 plus in the rankings. After proposing the scientific experiment to you, the listeners of Civil War Talk Radio, uh, a purchase, perhaps two purchases, we don't actually know, caused the book to rocket into the 300,000s and then slide back, having uh, given up this publicity campaign of mine, back down to the, uh, the three-quarter of a million point once again. So I think we have adequately proven now that with a single book purchase, you can change the Amazon.com rankings by dramatic amount. So keep that in mind as you support historical enterprises with your, your hard-earned book dollars. We are going to talk today about people who had a big impact on history by doing small things in uh, uh, in, in the form uh, well, I'm not even going to say what it is. Let's just get started. Uh, let me say hello to Karen Winnick, our guest today. Karen, how are you doing? I am doing fine, and thank you for inviting me. How is your voice? I know you had a cold it's earlier. A little hoarse. Uh, you sound, sound pretty good, though. I have hot tea here, so Very it's, good. it's clogged up. Now, you are a author and illustrator of children's books. Yes. Uh, as opposed to a, a Civil War specialist. And I, I know yes. you and I talked a little bit about that ahead of time. But I'm curious to hear about your perspective on these events of the Civil War era and how you present them to young readers. Do you write other kinds of children's books other than historical ones? Um, I have done other uh, picture books, and specifically what I do is picture books. It's actually its own um, form. It's very different from a chapter book for children. A picture book is only 32 pages, and everything you say has to be in that form of 32 pages. So there's a lot to say. How did you come to that form for expressing your, your ideas? Well, a picture book is almost... Um, in a way, like writing a poem, it's paring down the words, and it involves pictures. And the pictures and the words very often have equal um, importance. And um, one author has expressed it as though um, she said that writing a picture book is like writing War and Peace in haiku. And my background is art, and it was really a coming together of everything that I'm interested in, and I have to even use the word passionate about. I've always loved art. I've always loved books, I've always loved children, and I've always had a fascination with history. So you, you studied art, you, you have formal I, training in art. I have formal training in art, and then um, when I was working on picture books, I went back to school for many years and took uh, writing, but also poetry. Even though I don't consider myself to be a poet by any means, uh, the tools of poetry are often used in a picture book. Now, I'm, I'm struck by your comparison of poetry and picture books. My experience with picture books, other than that, as a reader some 35 years ago, is as a parent. My youngest daughter is now 10, will be 10 next month, and we still occasionally will read a picture book together, but she has many of them on her shelf. And over the years, I've, I've as I'm sure most of our listeners have, I've had the opportunity to read picture books to children, our own children. And... I can recall how tedious a bad picture book can be. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like not all people who write them, I, I think people may be deceived by how simple they appear. 
it, well, they do appear things. simple, but they're actually very difficult to write. And I mean, there are many wonderful ones out there, and there are many bad ones. And the thing is, I guess it's been said that um, I think it was Mark Twain that said something about it's harder to be brief. But you um, you you par down the words so that every word counts. And um, th- when I say the tools of poetry, things like repetition or alliteration, sound is very important, cadence. I mean, writing a picture book about, a historical picture book about the Civil War, you want the language to sound of that time and place, too. So there are just so many considerations. And a lot of the story, as I said, gets carried in the weight of the pictures. I don't have to uh, draw, say that she's wearing a red dress because the picture shows it. So the writing itself, in terms of form, has more to do with strong verbs and less adjectives. And as you go into an older audience, you're creating pictures with your words. And so, therefore, you're using more description. But the pictures in a picture book carry that. I recall reading uh, an interview with, I think it was Jack Ezra Keats, who has written some marvelous picture books 30 or 40 years ago, uh, who described being at a conference of picture book writers and one saying, I can do five books a year, or I can do three books a year, or seven books a year. And he said he was fortunate if he could complete one book in a year uh, in terms of just the writing because of the kind of craftsmanship you're talking about, paying attention to every word. Yes, well, it is craftsmanship, and I, I, I think that um, many people don't understand that. They think they can whip one off in an hour because there's not much said. And even the art, the art for um, the historical ones usually takes me about a year just in itself. So so these are harder than they look. Occasionally we see celebrities producing these. I, I, I have know. the unfortunate experience of having to read uh, a, a picture book by a famous movie star who I will not name, uh, out of sympathy to her now languishing career, but it was just not a very good book. Uh, the illustrations were all right; they weren't by the author. But this this movie star thought, well, I can I'm famous, so I'll get published, and and she writes a, a children's book. But the language didn't have the right rhythm. It didn't. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't uh, didn't convey anything. Uh, my daughter didn't like it. I didn't like it. You know, it's interesting because I come from an art background, but. When I got involved in picture books, I really felt strongly, and this really goes against market wisdom, but I felt strongly that the writing was the soul of the book because that drew me back over and over again. And, um, I mean, the pictures are very, very important, but in the pictures, when people go to a bookstore, very often they look at the book and they see the pictures and they're attracted to it, and they don't have time, even if it's a short book, to read it in the store, but they buy it based on the pictures. But to me... The writing is what brings people back again and again because the story itself will say something that hopefully will touch their soul. Well, that brings me to a book I'd like to talk about with you a little bit uh, called Mr. Lincoln's Whiskers, Yes. which I encountered some years ago when I was working at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and we sold it in our bookstore. And I bought a copy for my, then my older daughter, who was... Uh, probably six years old, I would guess. And I was really impressed by this book. I thought it it, uh, it, it tells a marvelous story. Tell us what the story is of the book. Okay, well, the story is about Grace Bedell, who was 11 years old in 1860 when Abraham Lincoln was running for president. 
and she wanted Abraham Lincoln to win very much. But um, she was 11, and she couldn't have voted. When I go to schools, I tell kids that even if um, she had been an adult, she couldn't have voted because, of course, women couldn't vote in 1860, which surprises most students. And um, so in the course of writing this story, um, I discovered a lot of things. But anyhow, she wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln suggesting that he grow whiskers. And he wrote back and said, thank you for your suggestion. Well, I had been intrigued by this. I, Lincoln has always been a hero of mine, and has, as he's been for most people in this country. And um, I would read many books about him and come across this, but I was curious to find out more. And I wrote a letter to um, the town historian in Westfield, New York, where Grace Bedell had lived. She sent me a lot of information, including newspaper clippings. And what I discovered, which led me to believe I had a story to tell, was that Abraham Lincoln, having written to Grace that he, um, thanked, just thanking her, he um, took the train from Springfield to Washington, D.C. when he was elected president, and he stopped the train in Westfield, New York, and called out for Grace Bedell and had her brought forward and said to her, how do you like the improvement you advised me to make? So she had no idea that he had actually grown the whiskers until that moment. And that moment was magical because it showed that this great man was humble enough to take a young girl's advice and that this young girl had an empowerment that she couldn't vote, but she thought he would get more votes if his face didn't look so sad and that whiskers would... Um, improve his appearance and so it was her empowerment even though she couldn't vote and for me that was that aha moment because i said that's the story and oh, go ahead well in in telling a story i always search for a basic truth that speaks to me and hopefully will speak to my readers and, and that was the moment that i felt i found it well i think this this is really a, a marvelous story uh most people if they've read a biography of Lincoln, uh, perhaps have come across it. Uh, I know it, when I worked with school groups coming through the Lincoln Museum uh, for many years, this was always a story that our docents would tell uh, because it was just so effective, as you say, in communicating to a young audience how much impact a person can have. One of the uh, strong points of it is that Lincoln himself, uh, as you pointed out, he does grow the whiskers at Grace's suggestion. Yes. But before that, he writes back to her, which, uh, as in your book you show, uh, arouses the interest of the town, that this little girl gets a letter from the president-elect, uh, and in a small town where all the mail comes through the post office, everybody would know that. Uh, let me, de if you don't mind, I will go ahead and read the letter that Lincoln wrote Absolutely. back, uh, Grace, which you print in your book. It is dated Springfield, Illinois, October 19, 1860. Miss Grace Bedell, my dear little miss, your very agreeable letter of the 15th is received. I regret the necessity of saying I have no daughters, that Grace had asked about his family. I have three sons, one 17, one 9, and one 7 years of age. They, with their mother, constitute my whole family. As to the whiskers, having never worn any, do you not think people would call it a piece of silly affectation if I were to begin it now? Your very sincere well-wisher, A. Lincoln. Now, as, as 
with everything Lincoln even dashed off in quick prose, it is really marvelous writing. Uh, he, he expresses his meaning in a very limited number of words, uh, one of which I think has, I wouldn't call it a typo because he didn't type it, he hand wrote it, but he wrote the word affection. Yes, he made a mistake. He meant to use the word affectation. And right. sometimes when the letter is printed, they, they put that in parentheses, but he actually used the word affection. That's right. Which we know because, again, in your book, and I thought this was a very nice touch, you have a reproduction of that letter yes. uh, on the end paper. Yes. Uh, which the original is in the Burton Historical Collection of the Detroit Public Library. In well, the, the original of Grace's letter is in the Burton Collection of yes. the Detroit Public Library, but Abraham Lincoln's letter is actually owned privately. That, I'm sorry, that's the Bedell letter, yes, the, the letter that yes. she wrote. Yes, the, the letter that um, Abraham Lincoln wrote to Grace Bedell has um, been auctioned off um, several over the course of the last 10 years, I think twice. That's. I wonder, do you know who has it right now? I um, <clears throat> I have my suspicions. <laughs> it wouldn't happen to be a neighbor of yours, but... No, I, well... Um, uh... No, there, the, there was a man who owned it who lived here, and then he gave it to um, an auction house, and then they sold it to somebody else. And it sold for over a million dollars. I recall that. I would have I actually have a copy of the – had a copy, I should say, in my office in the Lincoln Museum where we noted as documents were sold where, where they went, and I would I would know where to look that up, but I don't have it handy here. Well, have, have you seen the original – no, I haven't seen the original of Abraham Lincoln's letter, only a facsimile. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I want to say about it, too, is that yeah. when Grace picked it up at the um, post office, light snow was falling, and she started reading it on her way home, and the snow fell, the snowflakes fell on the letter, and the ink got smudged. So in the actual um, letter, it's smudged quite a bit, and I... Use that as the end paper so you can see that in the book. Yes, I, I think that is also a marvelous touch. I'm looking at it right now, and there are all these black blotches all over. Then you have the full photographic reproduction next to it so the reader can see the document. And it's, it is uncharacteristic. Lincoln had very legible handwriting and didn't blot his paper or leave ink blotches all over it. But it was the, the, the snowdrops that did that. Yes. Another small interesting fact is that when Grace wrote her letter, of course, Abraham Lincoln was known as Abe Lincoln, and even though she was 11 years old, she did not know how to spell Abe, so she sounded it out, and her letter at the top says, Honorable A period, E period, Lincoln. Uh, That's how she sounded out Abe. Not too bad. 11-year-old. <laughs> 11. Now, one of the striking things about Lincoln's letter is, of course, that he says it would be silly affectation not to do this. Or, or for me to go ahead and do yes. this. I'm hearing the music, which tells us we're going to take a short break. But when we come back, we're going to find out what was Lincoln up to when he said, I'm not going to do it, and then he went ahead and did it. We'll look at that question and a few others when we get back in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> 